Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. about our new series uh, that I'm kicking off. I'm Ben, I'm the lead pastor. And uh, we're looking at the words we use and uh, how, how we can often use those in a negative way, but also how God really uh, can use those to be uh, a blessing to others and enrich our own lives as well. One of the, uh, the things that's a little difficult is when you speak for a living is that often uh, you misspeak. Uh, in fact, my uh, pastor who I first worked under when I first started ministry oh, in Bothell, Washington, he was known for uh, misspeaking uh, from time to time. And uh, he was talking to people about, you know, that they should have the heart of the Father, the heart of God the Father. And instead, he said, the fart of the hother. And, uh, uh, and then uh, another time he was... Uh, uh, he was uh, saying, uh, inviting people to uh, accept Jesus at the end of the service. And, uh, you know, and sometimes I'll do that. Hey, do you want to accept Jesus today? And instead, yeah, as people were making the most important spiritual decision of their life, uh, he said, uh, do you want to accept Jimmy today? And they're like, no, I really want to accept Jesus, not Jimmy. <laughs> and, uh, and speaking of, Jimmy Carter uh, was known uh, to have his share of blunders. Uh, and uh, one of the, the things that got messed up is he was over in Warsaw, Poland, and he had said that I've, I've come to understand the desires of the Polish people uh, but it was translated, I've come to desire the Polish people carnally. <laughs> uh, yeah, our words can get us in trouble. Uh, our words also can be a, a great blessing as well. Uh, some stats on it, you probably have heard this. Uh, the average guy, uh, he has about 6,000 words a day. And uh, the average female, and I'm just reporting the facts here. I'm just, uh, all I'm doing is reporting the facts. Has 9,000 words a day. Uh, one man was uh, telling his wife this, and she, uh, as he was reading an article, she said, that's because we have to repeat half of what we said. <laughs> to which he replied, What? <laughs> well, well, words are uh, powerful. And in fact, the scripture says that there's life and death uh, in our words. Uh, the theme verse for this series is James 3.10. And uh, we're going to be looking in the book of James. We're going to be looking in Proverbs as well uh, and a couple other places in the Bible where it talks specifically about the words we use. James 3.10 says this, out of the same mouth, come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And I think that most of us would agree with that, is that it really shouldn't be, uh, but it often is. And so here's our goal. Our goal is really simple, is to improve our life and relationships, to honor God more, 
by decreasing those words that really take life and by increasing those words that give life. You know what it's like to have someone speak life-giving words to you. Uh, I, I can rem- There's a few phrases that I remember throughout my life. life. I remember uh, when uh, Vernon Elgin, he was my pastor, and he said, Ben, I think you would make a good pastor. I remember when uh, my wife said, yes, I will marry you. I remember when one of my high school teachers said, you're the most intelligent student I've ever had. That didn't happen, but but had it happened, I would have remembered it uh, along the way. Uh, What's sort of funny, though, is that that we will uh, get criticism. And today, this is really what I want to look at. I want to look at criticism and how we, and all of us at times, can be overly critical people. We find this uh, in groups we really shouldn't. We find this among people uh, who are followers of Christ. I remember when I pastored uh, in Santa Barbara, California, and uh, I was there because God loves me. And so I was there in Santa Barbara, and I had this little church, and we were gathering with some, uh, I was gathering with some other pastors, and there's this one church that had amazing success, and I thought it was, it, it was great. Our church at the time uh, was, was not there. God blessed us later on. And what surprised me is that there were other people, Christ followers, pastors, who were, were saying, yeah, you know, yeah, this guy, sure, he's reaching a lot of people, but, you know, and all the reasons why he wasn't a really good person. Uh, and so what, what my response was, so what you're telling me, if he loved Jesus like we do, he'd have a little miserable church too, right? And uh, you know what? They never invited me back to that pastor's gathering. Uh, the, the, the funny thing, though, it, interesting, this is uh, somehow the word got to him, and, and, and he invited me. He had this big citywide event to be one of the, uh, the speakers there. People are always like to be around people who will not only defend them but speak words of life. Criticism comes, and if you live life, you'll have critics. We look in the Bible, we see that Moses, uh, he had his critics when he tried to deliver the nation of Israel, uh, and he was going to lead them into the promised land. There were his fellow Israelites who said, who are you to lead us? You think about it. Jesus, he had critics. Uh, In Luke 7, 34, it says, Excuse me. Uh, You say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We also uh, read that in Matthew 9, 34, it says, And the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. That's not a really nice thing to say, is it? No. Uh, The apostle Paul, he had his uh, critics Uh, People uh, said this, his letters are weighty and forceful, uh, but that in person, uh, his speaking amounts to nothing. And so we we see this throughout Scripture, we see this throughout life, that there's critics, and we will be criticized. In fact, why don't you go ahead and let's all repeat this out loud together, if you could indulge me. Say, I will be criticized. Let's go ahead and say it. Ready? Go. That's all I wanted you to get. 
so we can close in prayer. And uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the truth is we will be criticized, but we don't have to become highly critical. And if we've been there, we don't have to keep on going in that same direction, do we? Well, where does this come from <coughs> uh, in, our, in our lives? Well, one can be a need to control. There are rule keepers in life. And by the way, if you're a rule keeper, you're married to a rule breaker. And uh, when, we, when we're a rule keeper, there's nothing wrong with that unless we're trying to control people along the way. There's also personal insecurity. We see this in, in uh, our society we, uh, every day. People will say, if I can make you seem worse, then I can feel better about myself. I've seen this, people who are the most critical of other people's parenting are people who have challenges maybe that many people don't know about with their own children. There's also just a negative culture. We live in a culture that loves to bring people down where problem spotters are rewarded almost as much as problem solvers in our society where people find fault instead of finding solutions. If you're a Christ follower, you're commanded to be different. This isn't in your outline, but we're told in the Bible in Philippians 4.8, it says, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I think, <coughs> excuse me, mm. it must have got this cold from one of you people. Thanks a lot. I'm a pretty healthy guy. I don't know which one of you did that, but too late now. I'll just breathe on all of you after the service. That leads into number four, a compassion deficit. And uh, <laughs> this is where uh, we view people by the sum of their worst behaviors and instead of their identity as someone created in the image of God. One of the things uh, we know as we read the scripture, even before Jesus came in the very first chapters of the Bible, that every man and every woman is created in the image of God. C.S. Lewis in a little book that he wrote called The Way to Glory said, if you could see the most dull and uninteresting person you've ever met, in their glorified state with Jesus, you would be tempted to bow down and to worship them. See, oftentimes uh, we can get to that place where we lack compassion. And what God would have us do is to embrace his values. So how do we de deal with our tendencies to be overly critical? Well, what I want to do is I want to turn for the rest of our time together to the book of Proverbs. There's 120 Proverbs that talk about our speech and how it impacts our life. The Proverbs uh, were written mostly uh, by King Solomon, who was uh, the most powerful uh, king in the world. He was uh, super wealthy, 
had almost as much money as Oprah or <laughs> Jeff Bezos. He, uh, he was known for uh, his writings, and he wrote a lot about life, not only uh, as it should be, but often just how life as it is. And so what we learn in the Proverbs are ways to control our speech in a way that's life-giving, in, a, in an antidote to being overly critical. I want to look at five questions that we can ask ourselves when we tend in that direction. The first thing, if we're going to be criti- critical, uh, ask this question. Does this need to be said? <coughs> there are some things that simply don't need to be said. Maybe somebody already knows something. Maybe uh, it, it's just not worthwhile to bring up. Proverbs seventeen twenty eight says, Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Uh, this is, uh, my wife put that on a little sticky note on my mirror. The, uh, <laughs> actually, I told her, I, I said I was going to uh, speak on being wise with y- your words. I told her that was a topic for today, and she asked me if we had a guest speaker. If you're a verbal processor, one of the things that is really important for those of us who tend in that direction is to say, uh, hey, is this something that I should be processing with other people? Especially if it's uh, something that's critical. There is a time for discernment. Discernment and being overly critical are two different things. Discernment is that I evaluate which way to go. If I'm part of a team, I help the team move forward. Being overly critical is where we pick people apart. A second question is this. Do I need to say this? Sometimes something needs to be said, but it's not ours to say. Proverbs 26, 17, it says, Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel, not their own. That's quite a visual, isn't it? That you would, uh, I wouldn't even, my dog's 13 years old and doesn't even get around very well. I wouldn't grab him by the ears. But in the ancient world, stray dogs, uh, they were uh, basically, think of like a, a wild feral dog you would never do that you'd say that would be too dangerous and really sometimes uh, we get involved in things that are not ours to get involved we can naturally be a fixer if you're naturally a fixer that can be a sense of compassion but there are some things that you are not called to fix in fact as parents one of the things you, if, if you have uh, kids and as they get older, you'll learn that if you solve every problem, that you're actually hurting their development along the way. And here's the thing, is I know why we do this. Especially when, when we're saying, hey, I, I, I am a little critical, but it comes from wanting the best for them. Because we don't want them to suffer through the consequences of their bad decisions. I mean, I, I think uh, that's so true for so many people who tend to be a little overly critical. But have you ever thought of this? 
that maybe we're taking a job that really is God's job. That, that, and, and think about some of the lessons that you've learned in life. Did they come from uh, an ending success to success to success when there was never any difficulty? No, oftentimes it came through working through a struggle. But yet, we, with a heart of compassion, will want to get involved, and sometimes it's just not ours to be involved with. Well, what if uh, you are given that assignment to correct? Here are some things, and you can write this to the side. You, you may have heard these before. They're very common, but I think all of us need to be reminded of them. Compliment in public, correct in private. Uh, people, people in general who are wise don't mind being corrected. I can think of some of the times that I've been corrected in my life. It was a game changer for me. But nobody wants to be humiliated. Critique when people are up, not when they're down. That's, if someone's going through a struggle, a season, if they just lost their job, that's probably not a time to pile on in their life. Critique only when it's hard to do. If you say, I just, I, I've heard people like this, I just like calling people out. And uh, you know what, that's not good. <laughs> if, if you get joy from it, it's probably not a good thing for you to do. And only correct if you're correctable. The funny thing is I, I've seen this time and time again, people who will say, hey, I, I like to call people out, I like to correct them. But the moment they're corrected, they become radically defensive. They'll deflect. And if you say, hey, I'm, I'm a person where I'm open to correction, then you might be one to correct as well. Well, what do we do uh, in this if we're the one who's being criticized? That can be a challenge. And oftentimes we have to decide how we're going to respond. Are we going to respond in the same spirit or an opposite spirit? Jesus, when, when he was being criticized, he responded in an opposite spirit. He responded with love. I remember speaking on this in the church I pastored down in San Diego. And um, in, in our city, it was a pretty good-sized city, a uh, quarter million people or so. Um, you know, we'd find uh, sometimes political candidates would want to come to the church because we were the largest church in the city. And, and we would never make a big deal of it, nor would we uh, support anyone. Well, this one candidate for mayor, she started coming to the church. And uh, the funny thing is, is I'm not sure what her total motives were, but along the way, she ended up actually having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And she uh, started worshiping, and she's in this brutal uh, mayoral race. And she, she came to one point where she was being attacked by the other candidate, and she actually came and met with a couple of us pastors. And she had gotten some information on her opponent that in that city and in that culture... Uh, about some of his personal behaviors uh, probably would have tilted the election in her favor. 
and she was struggling what to do and, and you know, and, and we basically just said, what do you think God wants you to do? And she said, I want to win, but I don't want to win that way. And honestly, she, in a very close election, she lost because she had come to know Jesus and decided not to fight on those terms. Here's the thing. She lost the election, but what she gained in terms of her life and her character were so much more. And later on down the road, she did quite well. But for that moment, she was not willing to take advantage. Well, as we think about this, how does it trickle down in the rest of our life? Well, we need to uh, think of when we actually would correct, especially relationally. When we respond to someone who's criticizing us. I think one is when it's based on misinformation. And you have some uh, information that would maybe change that perception. You offer information that they previously didn't have. Have any of you ever gotten in an argument based on misinformation? Yeah. Those of you who are married know what I'm talking about at least, right? Yes, it happens all the time, doesn't it? Uh, one of the things that, that we can do, I think, in a marriage relationship is uh, to maybe say, let's take a hiatus from criticism. I was going to suggest 30 days, but that may be too much for you. But for seven days, could you make it till next weekend without criticizing? And I know what you're going to say, but what if? Nope, unless a car is coming in that direction and you're going to get in a wreck. Try it as an experiment. And just say, you know what? Just for the next seven days, uh, in, in a marriage relationship, we're not going to criticize, even about little things. See how it changes the atmosphere in your home. Well, let me move on to the third question to ask. Uh, is this gossip? Gossip is attractive but never uh, recommended in the Bible. In fact, it's sort of funny. It says, uh, the words of a gossip are like cho choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Uh, people like having special information, don't they? Uh, and by the way, something can be true but not helpful. When you know if something's gossip, if you're not part of the problem or part of the solution, then, and you're sharing that information, it's gossip. And we know how it happens, right? A friend gets pulled over by a police officer in Redmond and you see them, and after it goes through about 14 iterations, it was, well, he got pulled over by a police officer and he got a DUI and he had a few AK-47s in his trunk, you know? And it's sort of the exaggeration goes on. And that's what gossip does. Here's what gossip does in a relationship. Uh, it's, it's a corrosive. It's like acid. It says a gossip, tw uh, Proverbs 20, 19, a gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid anyone who talks too much. 
And in fact, it's interesting in our membership covenant as a church, uh, one, of the, one of the things we promise is, hey, we're, we're not going to gossip. We are going to, what we call it is lights on, windows open. That, that we would have honest dialogue with one another because that's where healthy relationship comes from. A fourth question to ask, and this one is uh, really protective for you, is what could be the unintended consequences of my criticism? Is there something that I could say that could actually uh, cause, cause a problem? Any of you ever have anything that leaves your lips and you are like, yes, come back, come back, come back? Uh, yeah, that happens uh, uh, all the time. I remember, oh, I remember. This was, I think at this point, this was maybe 20 years ago or 15 years ago uh, where there was a conflict between two people and someone was trying to get my, uh, my take on it. And, uh, and I, I said, hey, you know, uh, uh, I think uh, they're, you know, uh, both a little stubborn and pig-headed. What I didn't realize is they were on the email and I replied all. And then I said, but I love them anyway, you know. <laughs> the, and it's sort of funny, have you, 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 we do those things and we remember the consequences. But here's what we often don't see are the consequences uh, that aren't apparent. When the criticism tears down someone's self-esteem. And then... Maybe as a parent, we spend years and years trying to build that back up again. It says in Proverbs twenty-one twenty-three: those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. See, for some of us, it's not just the words that we say, it's the words that were said to us. And we have a choice right now. Are we going to continue to let ourselves be haunted by those critical words? those overly critical words, not the ones that were a just correction, but the ones that have made us doubt God, doubt ourselves, doubt who God's made us to be. Are we going to let God's voice become the loudest in our life? It's when we see in the scripture, I, I think one of the great examples we see is when Jesus is starting out his ministry before he did anything, before he really taught, God the Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And not only was it an affirmation to him, it's a reminder to us of how God, before we do anything to serve God or anything else, when we're just open and available to him, he says, this is my child in whom I'm well pleased. So the fifth question is this, am I extending the same grace God has shown me? Gary Chapman, who's written a number of books on marriage and relationships, uses uh, this vivid metaphor of that words can be bullets or seeds, that they can be seeds that flourish and grow or bullets that destroy. Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue is the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Now let me say this as gently as I can when it comes to showing grace. I know that it's not always easy. And I know that it's challenging. 
especially if you feel like you've been on the other end of this, that there's been uh, overly critical people in your life. And you say, well, I don't know if I can love them, if I can forgive. In 1 John uh, 4.20, it says, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. And what he's basically saying is if, if we cannot respond with love, with forgiveness, with grace, then we probably never experienced that in the first place. And maybe that's for you. Maybe you say, you know, I don't know if I've experienced that. I, I feel like, like I'm criticized. I feel like maybe even God feels this way about me. One of the greatest uh, stories Jesus ever told in the Bible of the image of who God is, is, is of, of a, a son, and it could be a son or a daughter, who, who went away from his family, who, who lived in a way that dishonored God, dishonored everyone. And when he finally came to his senses, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to come home. And as we read that story known as the prodigal son, it's really not about the son, it's about the father. Because there's lots of prodigal sons and daughters. And it's about the father's response that was so unique in that culture and I would say in ours as well. Is that the father didn't see the son and say, well, you know, you've done wrong. You know, you, uh, ha- you were living in a wild way. You wasted all that money. You did all these things. No, he runs to his son. And he says these words, the son of mine who is dead is alive. And there's a joy whenever someone would say, I'm, I'm coming back, I'm coming home. And maybe for you today, as we uh, move into this new year, you say, God, I just want my, my heart to be open to you. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.